there are so many assisted living homes, independent living homes, um, senior events that happen at community centers. It's a huge population. And I think I never thought about that as even being my audience. I kind of fell into it about 12 years ago. And what I found is that um, there's a humongous need for good entertainers in those places. And they will pay. They've got budgets for musicians. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast. This is the show where we try to help you make great music, to connect with your audience, and to grow your business. And I know that this episode is going to do that for you. I am talking with artist Tara B. And in my conversation with her, it was like I was looking at myself in the mirror and talking to myself. We had so many similar experiences and kind of built our music careers in the same way. And I know you're gonna benefit from all that she has to tell you because she has had a lot of experiences and growth experiences and learning experiences that have gotten her to where she is today. And where she is today is she is doing very well, supporting herself on just her music. She is doing an incredible number of gigs every year, every month, every week. I mean, she's busy and it's not like she's performing at the Whiskey A Go-Go or the Bluebird Cafe or the Bitter End. You know, they're not high profile gigs, but they are paying gigs. And these are people that are dying to hear her sing and call her back every year. So you are going to get some really great tips, some actionable tips from her. I am not going to dilly-dally in getting this show started. I have just gotten back from three weeks of vacation two weeks in Maine with my family and one week at a female entrepreneurship conference where I just learned so much, got refreshed, got connected to the women and some great mentors. And so I am ready to go, but boy, am I overwhelmed with the things I need to catch up on for Women of Substance, all our special shows and this show and for the Academy. And there's just so much going on, all great stuff, but it's a lot. So no more talking. We're going to get right to my interview with Tara B. Tara B is a professional singer, pianist, entertainer, vocal coach, composer, recording artist, voiceover talent, and public speaker. Wow. She's performed at such varied venues as Madison Square Garden in New York, many Minnesota wineries, the MPLS International Airport, and Burbank Senior Arts Colony. Tara books and manages about 200 concerts per year for her solo career as well as for her duo, the BZ Girls. Her audience ranges from 4 to 100, but she specializes in the 40 and up crowd. I know you're really going to enjoy this candid and insightful interview with Tara B. So that's a little bit about Tara B. Uh, Tara, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners about you that maybe isn't in the bio, maybe something a little more personal? 
Yeah, I actually I know the bio is so much about my music, which is obviously a huge part of my life. But I I am a girl who loves the outdoors. So summertime, I'm loving right now. And anytime I can be outdoors, um, when I'm not singing and doing musical related things, I love that. So even spending we just I actually just spent some time at our um, we call our North Shore in Minnesota, which is Lake Superior, and it's like our ocean. So anytime I can see stuff like that, it's great. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, I've been to, um, I forget which Great Lake in Michigan, and I was amazed at how large they are. It does <laughs> yeah. look like an ocean. They really do. It's crazy. That's not what we have here. I mean, <laughs> we have tiny little lakes. In fact, our lakes are pretty much non-existent right now with the oh. drought. We have one across the street from my house that I would call a pond, and now oh. it is like a puddle. I mean, there's oh, no. nothing left. <laughs> I'm sorry, but maybe we could send some of our water your way. I really <laughs> wish you could. We need it so badly. Yeah. Well, how'd you get started in music? Well, I am from a musical family. I'm the youngest of three children, and my mom was um, or is still a choir director and organist and pianist. And so we had music all the time, whether it was like a church or in our home. And I started singing publicly with my family when I was about six years old. We were singing in little little churches in Minnesota and actually little parts of Canada too. And um, so it's always been a part of me. I guess I never knew anything different. Now, which part of Minnesota are you in? Well, I live in the Twin Cities right now, the okay. area, but I grew up in smaller towns. I was born in a small town in Minnesota. And so my early experiences was all more kind of central and northern Minnesota and, and small town. Okay. You know, I'm from one of those small little places. <laughs> My family is actually from a very small town in Minnesota called Reamer, Minnesota. Oh, it has like a hundred people. Awesome. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's kind of near Wa like Walker. Oh, Walker. Kind of that. I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too far from Walker. Oh, wow. And, cool. and ooting, as they say, yeah. which I would say outing, but they say ooting. <laughs> sure. It's the short <laughs> vowels of Minnesota. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to have a music career when you're in this area with just a bunch of small towns. Cause I think in some ways it feels hard, but in the other ways it's a little easier because right. you can start out with a lot of venues and get your foot in the door and pra and get practice performing true. in smaller places. That's so true. <laughs> so what was it like being an indie artist in the nineties? Cause you know, to me it like nowadays it's really cool to be an indie artist <laughs> and there's a lot of benefits to it. But in the nineties, like nobody was really doing that. Everybody wanted a record deal. So what did you, you know, what was your experience with that? Well, for me in the nineties, I had just graduated college. I had my music degree and I was actually part of a band back then with my brother and a couple other people. And, and it, it was hard. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing as far as like, I, I would book things cause I understood a little bit about booking, but it was kind of hard to figure out what places to find. And um, and, and everybody, you know, the people that had made it in music, you're right. It was always about a record deal. It wasn't, it, I don't know why, but nobody kind of told me or told us that there were other options. And so it was always kind of trying to figure out ways that you could like, you know, get to talk to somebody that might be able to know somebody that could get you a record deal. <laughs> it, but I will say, even though that was the case, and seriously, I was probably doing, I figured this out, maybe like 25 gigs a year where now it's so much more. But in that time period for me, what was good is that I was constantly listening to music, like I was figuring out styles. You know, it's like when you listen and listen, you get an idea of what this style is like or this style. 
And I think just that was like a decade for me of learning and honing my skills and vocally and then even piano a little bit later too. So it though I wasn't performing actually that much compared to now, it it really, I think, set the stage for the skills that I now possess that makes performing easy. That's yeah, I totally identify with that. And I think as I read your bio, I feel like we are twins from, <laughs> you know, across the country because awesome. <laughs> we have a very similar experience. I, you know, I graduated high school in 1990, graduated college, mm-hmm. college in 94, and I wanted desperately to be in music also. And I just had no clue what to do. And I was trying and I was, you know, singing at random weddings right? and, you know, just trying <laughs> to figure it out. Yeah. And it took me, like you said, 10 years to really figure out my, my niche, kind of where I should be and what my talents were and, and the people that liked what I did. So I'm really interested to get into more (laughs) of, you know, how you found that over time. Um, do you, right now, do you consider yourself a full-time musician? Are you making a full-time income on music? Are you making a part-time and then supplementing it? Or do you have some relate like music related, supplementing incomes or a completely unrelated supplementing income? Right now, I actually am full time. I have been for, well, I have been sometimes for some years, like full time. I mean, of the last 25 years, kind of of my adult life, there's, I would say been about 18 of those that I would consider it full time, but that includes teaching as well as performing, but it's still music related. Um, it's, it's been in the last five years that it has switched from where my voice teaching, the lessons used to bring in more of the income. And now the gigs are doing that for me. So it's, um, mm. it's, it's funny because every time I have people come up to me at a gig and they'll say, well, what do you do for a living? Or is this your living? I think they're always shocked that it is full time <laughs> and it's hard, you know, but it's, it's just, I think time. Well, there you know? aren't a lot of people that do. I mean, True. it's, it's in a way hard for me to find people to interview for this show mm-hmm. because a lot of times I'm looking for people that have a full-time income in music mm-hmm. and there aren't a lot. I mean, <laughs> you know, unless they're like, you know, full-time touring on a record sure. label kind of person. Yep. I get that. <laughs> so can you kind of go over the, um, the streams of income that make up your income? Cause you know, I, when I was doing music mm-hmm. full time, I had a whole bunch of different streams of income, including, and I'm thinking you do a lot of these too, and including I was do, being a demo singer for people and arranging and all kinds of, you know, and mm-hmm. teaching, like you said. So, you know, what, what kind of makes up and if you could give us like even some percentages, you know, rough percentages. Yeah, I was right now. It's, it's actually pretty, um, simplified if I want to put it that way, I would say probably, of what I make is on gigs and probably another 20%, 25% on with teaching. And that can include private vocal lessons or classes that I teach. And then the last part is just maybe like CD sales, um, random things. So in the past I have done, you know, through the years, because I said 25 years of doing this, I did have definitely some jingle work for a while. That was kind of in the, the late 90s. And also um, singing backups on different CDs of other people. Um, I'm trying to think what else there might have been. I, I can't think. Now of I was looking that. at your website. Do you do like online music coaching or or is it all like local? It's it's local. I have just kind of honestly in the last couple of months set myself up for being able to do Skype and vocal lessons or, you know, coaching people just 
even speaking wise with their voice. But that's a, a something that's so new to me that I haven't necessarily generated income out of that yet. I think so. that's a really cool thing to get into. I know some people that got coached that way, mm -hmm. maybe even 10 years ago. And, sure. you know, to have access to somebody that's a really good coach that's not in your town. I mean, like, you know, if you're in a tiny little town right. in Ohio or something, <laughs> you know, you're not going to find a good vocal coach. You're, coach, you're going to have to drive. And with Skype video, I mean, you know, you can actually see, you can watch them. Right. You can see what their body is doing, which is important. You can't just listen, right? Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the other thing I've just kind of come up with too is um, I'm creating some YouTube videos of teaching where it's just short little segments you know, kind of the vocal tip for the day. And I haven't, I haven't really gone into the whole monetization of videos yet. I'm learning about that. There's, there's just so much to learn. Cause I think there's a lot of avenues out there, but you know, of streams of income, but it's kind of trying to figure it out and then learning it. I, I think being growing up in kind of the, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, obviously I was just on the beginning of the computer. And so I find that so many people in their twenties seem so much more adept at different things that are online or do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, I probably spent a year just focusing, studying on online and, you know, mm -hmm. what you can do to gener generate an income. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like you said, from our era when, you know, we were, I mean, I remember being in junior high when I saw my first Macintosh, you right. know, <laughs> I mean, are we really that old? I, I guess know. We are. I know. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, you have to learn that stuff, but there is so much. And I think your idea about the videos is great. And to me, the monetization would be to drive people to some kind of coaching mm -hmm. because, you know, do you have your tips be free right? and then drive people to your coaching? Because I, I really think and, and targeting parents. I mean, there are so many parents that have talented kids that don't just don't know what to do true. to move them forward, you know? It's true. <laughs> so here, we're building your business for you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I want to ask you about your gigs because, you know, 70% on gigs, that's really awesome, especially, you know, being... Now I haven't, we haven't really talked about like the styles that you do. And I find it interesting because it's, it's similar to what I did as far as, um, finding different niches that mm -hmm. I could really book in. So, you know, tell them, you know, what most of your gigs are and, and kind of how you find them. Okay. So I am a solo singer, but I also have a duo and I would say about, I do about 200 concerts a year, about 150 of those are solo 50 are with, um, the busy girls, my duo. And the solo gigs, I have found this niche with senior citizens and in Minnesota, especially, but I know this is true all over the country because I lived in Los Angeles for a while and I did it there too. And there are so many assisted living homes, independent living homes, um, senior events that happen at community centers. It's a huge population. And I think I never thought about that as even being my audience. I kind of fell into it about 12 years ago. And what I found is that um, there's a humongous need for good entertainers in those places and they will pay. They've got budgets for musicians. It's also daytime work, which is fabulous because um, I'm now that I'm a little older, I don't always like being out, you know, till one in the morning playing places. <laughs> and so it's, it's really a, a great income 
in that sense. Um, the way that I started it and actually still do is just random, not random, but cold calling. And now with the internet, you can Google anything and find, I mean, I don't know in Minnesota, I haven't actually done the counting of it, but I probably play at, I would say maybe 70 different senior places right here in the metro area. And I don't play at all of them. So that's a lot. I know oh it my is. Gosh. And, and it's, and it's finding the ones that obviously will pay. I mean, I have a certain worth that I feel like, you know, that I am and that I provide, but I have through the years too, you know, you build relationships with people, those that are booking. And so even as I've raised fees, like last summer, I just raised fees a little bit and, um, I really didn't lose. I maybe lost two places. So, it, you know, it's something where it's ongoing. They have entertainment every month or every week. And so as I would cold call, then I would do follow-up calls. And I'm really big about follow-up and being persevering. I don't want to, um, you know, tick people off. <laughs> so I've kind of tried to, when I keep track of the places I'm calling, I'll try to maybe every three to five weeks call them if I haven't heard a no or if I haven't heard any kind of response from them. And that's just kind of how I've done it through the years. It seems to have worked pretty well. That's a really good strategy. And I did the same. I sang at several different, and mostly because people found me, like that's how I fell into it. Like people okay. at my church, uh -huh, you know, they sure. loved what I did and they would call, you know, they would, you need to go here. You need to go there. And I started doing a lot of like the Federation of Women's Clubs. Have you sang yes. at those? Yeah. Or auxiliary. <laughs> yeah. Because okay. I mean, that's the same thing. They have to have entertainment every time, every month you know? Yes. And so they're always looking I for know. something it, and then they like things with a theme and like, especially Christmas right. or, you patriotic. know, I, I did like a patriot, absolutely uh -huh. patriotic theme. <laughs> I just did about four of those last week. So it was, oh my goodness. but it's kind of awesome. You know, it's again, and you kind of put these programs together and it's, you know, you've got, you've got a program to do through the years. You can bring it back. So so we have a lot of struggling artists on the show, you know, listening, trying to figure things out. And is there any time that you can remember that you felt really frustrated? You felt like you were hitting a wall and that you, you know, you might want to give up on this, even though it was your dream. How did you push through that? If you could, you know, just kind of give us a, a story or two in relation to that. Yeah. I, you know, I think every musician goes through frustrations and I, Weirdly so, I can't say that I ever felt like giving up. I I think it's in my brisky family or something that we are definitely perseverers. So I think that helped. But there was a time about, I think it was right around 1995, 96. And I was singing with this uh, band with my brother and a few others. And, and things just weren't happening for us. Like we thought, you know, we'd get a break somewhere. Like we sang at a music festival and we thought that would get all kinds of more gigs. It didn't. Nothing was really panning out. And there was kind of, I think, a feeling we had been together long enough where people kind of wanted to go different ways musically. And I knew that, too. But it was just feeling frustrated by it, as well as the fact, and, and I'll just share this because this is a part of my story, too. Um, I'm still single in my 40s, and I've been through a lot of heartache in love. And I had just gone through a breakup at that time, too. So there was just a lot that felt, you know, just really down, like, oh, nothing's ever going to happen. And life sucks, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I remember doing a concert around that time where we were being, it was some kind of contest. And so there were judges there. And one of the judges came up to me afterwards 
and just said, thank you for sharing part of your story, what you're going through, because your vulnerability spoke a ton. And it made me realize, too, that even just those parts of us as an artist, that that's important to people. It's how they connect with us. I don't think I realized how much how important that was probably until years later. But it was one of those pieces where someone encouraged me. So it, you know, encouraged me to keep going like, oh, I have something to share with these people. I have something to offer. And and I, I would just say that for anybody, you know, even when they're coming against a wall, it's like. You have, I, I, and this is something I believe even just because I'm a woman of faith, but I believe that when God gifts people, that those gifts are meant to be used. And so, you know, if people are having gifts in music, there is a niche for them. I really believe there's a niche. I used to have the scarcity thinking, but I'm, I have more abundant thinking now where it's like, it's just trying to find it and it might take a long time, but there's different ways. I mean, even at that point when my band broke up, and I was kind of going as a solo artist and kind of going, what style do I want to do? Do I want to do this, this? I don't really know. Like I couldn't, it was years really before I found that niche of what I'm doing now. But it, you know, just in that moment of someone encouraging me, it helped me to go on and realize that I could. Mm, I love that. I love that. So on that, on that note, can mm -hmm. you tell us about a mentor that you've had? And how, you know, they affected you and, and what you learned and how you put that into practice. You know, I never have had a specific mentor. And as I talk with a lot of other musicians, they usually don't either. I mean, like a specific person. But I have had mentors in other way, as in when I read books about people and their lives, like it's inspiring. I mean, not even necessarily musicians. This probably sounds crazy, but like when I was growing up, I read all the Little House on the Prairie books and they were pioneers and they persevered through things. And then, you know, I, I read through other people's bios through the year. I remember even reading about like the opera singer Renee Fleming and um, I read a little bit about Julie Andrews. And, and just when I read about other people's lives, it inspired me to keep on going. You know what I mean? And, oh, yeah. And, and then I also had two very distinct things said to me. My fourth grade teacher, who um, she was a I don't know that she was like the best teacher, but she was just she really thought that I had special gifts. And so she said to me, Tara, I just think you can do anything you want with your life. Now, granted, that may not be true, but it's the fact that she said it. You know, I was impressionable. I was fourth grade. And it encouraged me like that has never left me that I'm capable. And then my college voice teacher was kind of the same way where she just said, I'm not going to try to put you in a box of where your music is or what your voice is like. She said, I want you to just explore anything, just explore it, you know, see what happens. And, and I think those two pieces have just kept me going, um, you know, to realize that I have a gift I'm going to keep using it. And again, like I say, these other books that I've read along the way of people that have inspired me, there have also been just random friends here and there that, you know, the times when I'm down, they'll just say, no, you've got a gift. Just keep going, keep going. So it hasn't been maybe a specific person, but from many different sources, I've had a lot of encouragement. I really have. I, I feel very blessed that way. Um, no. Yeah, I think we need that. I mean, yeah. you know, it's hard to to keep going sometimes. Mm -hmm. So surrounding yourself with people that are encouraging, I think is super important. Yeah. So what what do you believe, believe makes you unique as an artist? I think I have finally found a niche 
uh, of singing these old jazz tunes, old Broadway, and in a style that's also kind of an old school style. I've, um, my voice too is what I've learned through the years that it just fits those. It's a little more lilting. It's clear. I mean, it's got some warmth in it, but it, it tends to fit those styles really well. And I think that uniqueness of doing that also playing piano, cause I'm an instrumentalist as well. And, and my keyboard skills are really comparable to my voice. I've kind of honed both through the years. And I've been playing piano since I was three years old. So I'm sure that's helped. But, um, I think just finding those songs like that connect with me, connect with my voice and then the audience, the senior audience, so much of what I do, you know, it, it all works together. It's their eras. It's the things they grew up with. So it's without really trying to, that's kind of where I've gone in and felt comfortable. And I really love learning about these old composers like Irving Berlin and Cole Porter and Gershwin and and I'm able to share piece, or sorry, pieces of that their history as well at gigs and all of that together. It just works, you know, with the audience. Oh my gosh, I can see why they love you. I mean, that's <laughs> like seriously, they love that kind of yeah. stuff. They love remembering those old songs. They love hearing about the composers, and exactly. just brings back great memories. I love. I, that's such a great niche that you have. Well, and I have to say this too, Brie, that when I first started doing it, even up till honestly, just a few years ago, I would get kind of apologetic when people would say, well, who do you sing for? And I'd say, well, seniors. And it's almost like I was trying to find a way to apologize as though they weren't worthy, you know, of having someone come sing for them. And I just think they just happen to be an older part of the population. They have stories themselves. The, the one beautiful part, even about singing for them is sometimes I'll get to talk afterwards with them at a gig. And they have stories like from World War Two or, you know, some other just amazing things. It's like these people are full of history. And so I'm so grateful now that I kind of stumbled on it before. And now it's become such a part of my life. I really have a deep that's, respect. That's so true. I mean, we're going to be seniors eventually. And then, you know, there's going to be some singers coming singing Madonna right. and <laughs> Lady Gaga and Nirvana and stuff to us in the old folks home. That's true. I know they're going to have to shift the music, you know, newer. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, so what has been your most mind-blowing experience? Like the one where you're just like, oh my gosh, pinch me. I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay. I had actually two, but one was in 1997, a very last minute, uh, a gentleman from my church at the time, his mother was doing some big like Christian women's event in New York City. And it was at Madison Square Garden Theater. And why they asked me to sing at it, I'm still like, I don't know, because there were two other women that sang there. One was a woman who was well-known in New York. I don't remember her name. And the other was a lady by the name of Esther Hines. She was an opera singer who was pretty well-known at the time, you know, worldwide. And I'm thinking, and me? Why am I going to be there? But anyway, they flew me out. And I'll never forget just being on stage at Madison Square Garden Theater with, it was, you know, packed place and I'm singing. And again, I'm just kind of like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, I'm a small town Minnesota girl. And so it was just a really cool moment. And then the other moment that happened for me where I was like pinching myself was not performing. But when I lived in Los Angeles a few years ago, I was able to teach some classes for uh, Disney corporate. They offer any kind of classes to their employees. And I was teaching some performance and voice classes. And it was more about just that when I came onto the grounds of Disney 
and saw the Disney signs and my little badge and on my room, it had my name and Disney symbols around it. And it just felt so surreal because as a child, I used to watch the wonderful world of Disney and, and here I was, you know, so that was pretty, that's cool. pretty cool. How'd you get, how'd you get that gig? Uh, one of my friends, when I moved to Los Angeles, I had met a, a friend through a friend and she worked for Disney and she had heard about the classes. So she basically just gave me the name of the woman who booked the classes and I called her and gave her all my information and she took a chance on me. So Wow, cool. that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell us about your most recent projects. What are you working on right now? And, and how that, how's that going over with your current audience? Or are you building a new audience with that? Well, um, and I don't know if you want me to talk about my duo at all, because that's kind of. Yeah. Project. So I'm part of a duo called the BZ Girls. And um, I met the B is for Tara B. The Z is for Carol Z. It's my friend. She and I met up at a songwriters group about six years ago. We have very different styles, and she's got a very low, deep voice. She plays guitar. But what we found out when we started singing together was just our voices, for some reason, match and blend and work well. And we've just found a lot of commonality as friends. And we weren't like planning on starting a duo, but we just said, hey, let's start singing together. And now our... Um, are like where we sing for people. I guess our audience is probably about like a forties to sixties. And usually at, um, we actually have a lot of wineries in Minnesota, believe it or not. And I had no idea. Yeah. There's like, I don't know, maybe 70 by now. They just keep oh popping up. Yeah. We, they have a, what's called Minnesota, the university developed cold climate grapes. <laughs> so, oh. so they can withstand our winters. Um, but it's really, it's kind of become popular for people to go around to wineries and do wine tastings. And we found that niche when I moved back here from Los Angeles, I had kind of heard of it and I just Googled and started booking those places. And so it's really been a, a cool matchup for Carol and I, um, or the busy girls, just being able to sing at so many outdoor things. I mean, we've sung at other events too, but the wineries have been kind of a mainstay for us. And what's your style? Is it like folk or jazz? Or? It's it's a little combination of we do a little bit of classic jazz because we, you know, from my experience and she's done a little bit of that. But then we do I almost call it maybe more of a pop folk rock because we do some things of like the 70s or 80s. And then also today, like we do a Bruno Mars song or Colby Collet. Um, But then we're both songwriters. So that is a blend of sort of pop and um Carol's might be a little more closer to R&B, a little more, more soulful than mine. So it's, it's a, it is kind of eclectic in some ways, but it's, I think what we found our niche too, is that just two women singing together and our blend with our voices being, we kind of figured this out that, you know, hers is lower, mine's higher. And where the most like sweet sounds of our voice are, are about a third apart. So it's like perfect, mm, how perfect. for harmonies. <laughs> it sounds like the Indigo Girls to yeah. me. I mean, you think about their voices. That's true. And and we get that. Like we have totally different voices, but when we blend together, it it really can sound as one. And I'm I'm so grateful for that. That's awesome. So with your audiences that mm -hmm. you have, um, you know, especially with the the older audience and stuff, do you do you promote and get fans online or do you mostly doing, you know, person to person? With gathering fans with the senior gigs, it's pretty much just um, person to person, you know, concert to concert. 
the beautiful part is, I think that anytime you're gigging, um, you know, it's, it's another advertisement for another concert. And that's happened often to me where I'm singing at a senior place. It may not even be the seniors themselves. It might be their son or daughter who happens to be there that day saying, Hey, do you do these kind of events? Do you do this? And they'll take my business card. Um, so word of mouth, you know, and them having seen me, it's gotten me a lot of other gigs as well. And, um, with the BZ girls, we do a lot of online, like on Facebook, a lot of promotion there because people are online, you know, and it's great. Right. I think of the days when I used to have to send out postcards in the mail and how expensive uh, that was. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so what is the, what are the best, um, online places for you, the BZ girls to promote right now? Um, our, we have our website which is thebeezygirls.com and then our Facebook page, which is also just the BZ girls. And I think Facebook page is probably the one that we're constantly doing stuff on and advertising. And, um, it's, we have our schedules on both, but that's probably, that's probably. And you get engagement on Facebook. We do. And, and partly too, because not just our page, but when we've shared the BZ girls pages on our personal pages, um, Carol's in a couple of other groups as well. So there's a, you know, with two of us too, there's a lot broader audience as far as numbers of people that we can share that with, you know, as far as friends that we, yeah, I think that, I think that helps. Yeah. So more people. Yeah. And then, so do you, sorry, go ahead. And I was thinking again, word of mouth, because it's funny, even at these wineries, there's plenty of people that don't know us and then they'll hear us and they'll ask like, well, Hey, are you singing at more of these? And that's why I still think that gigging itself does promote you. Like if you're just sitting home, you're probably not going to get as much people or, you know, as many people coming to a concert, but if you're out there doing it, you're going to build a fan base that way. Oh, totally agree. And, you know, always have, like you said, business cards or fly. I always used flyers because they're bigger and people don't lose them. Right. (laughs) And you know, I always mention it at the end of my show and I have them on my table right next to the CDs and that, you know, and I'm sure you experienced this too, but that's how I got 80% of my gigs after my first year. Mm -hmm. It's I know because people, they take it, you know, it's, it's and they're excited when they're there, they're excited about it. They, they usually take several because they want to give them to certain people (laughs) they're thinking of, you know, or other churches or people that, and, and, you know, it, it comes to mind too, that maybe people don't know that don't perform at these kind of like, you know, senior events mm-hmm. or women's events or whatever. There's always somebody who's in charge of entertainment at those things. And they're dying for people to call them. Like they yes. don't want to have to go do research to find someone. So true. If, if they find them, then they're super happy about it. So true. That's, a great, that's a great point. Cause I've had people do that. Like we were just looking for someone, you know, for the next event mm-hmm. or something. And yeah, it's great. It really is. And a lot of times it's not their forte. Like they've been given this job, mm-hmm. but they don't, they don't know how to find entertainment. It's and so true. they're just so happy when you happen upon them. Right. <laughs> That's true. It's true. So do you have a book that you would recommend to people either about the music business, about songwriting, or even about maybe, you know, something for self-improvement or empowerment? You know, one of the books that really, well, two books stuck out to me. I read them about the same time, but the first one um, was, is called the introvert advantage. I think the author is, um, uh, Lainey is her last name, L A N E Y. I can't think of her first name, but it's, 
I'm an introvert and, and uh, I know actually a lot of musicians are, and I think people don't realize that because they think since we're in front of people and we're social that we're extroverted. But I think what I learned through that book was just finding my strengths as an introvert and how that really can apply to a music career. In fact, I really recognize that some of those things that I'm sure you know this too, that it's like the daily stuff that has to get done, whether it's emails or invoices or you know, putting together, um, I don't know, just all the background stuff, I call it, or even putting together a set of your music, like figuring order programs, those all the administrative, yeah, and and the stuff that you kind of do by yourself, even practicing, you do it by yourself a lot. And all those things, it's like, well, it's never seemed that weird or hard to me. And I realize that's partly from being that introvert, where I don't have to be around people all the time. Although I love people, I just fuel you know, more alone. And that book kind of gave me permission to do that. So I loved it. And then the other book I read, which is more about music, it's by a man named Roger Love. I think he actually does a lot of um, voice work with different stars out in LA, but his voice or his book that I read is called Set Your Voice Free. And that gave me a whole new world, not just into the singing voice, but to the speaking voice as well. So it even gave me ideas as far as generating income of not just singing, but what can I do with my speaking voice? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. I want to mention about the introvert book. Mm -hmm. I was discussing this with someone the other day, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting how as musicians, sometimes we feel so comfortable to talk on stage, mm-hmm. but yet if we walked into a room of people we didn't know, we mm-hmm. would feel totally uncomfortable. Like we, we don't have that, <laughs> you know, cocktail party kind of mentality. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's what, it, you know, being an introvert is about. I'm not an introvert, but uh-huh. I'm more toward the middle of the, the spectrum. spectrum. Sure. And, but I could say anything mostly on stage, mm-hmm. but walk into a room of people I don't know, I'm completely intimidated by that. I know. And me too. It's in fact, usually what I'll do in those cases is just kind of go around the sides of the room and kind of look for people who are either by themselves or not kind of the life of the party. I'll usually try to go for the quieter ones and then I'll start a conversation. Cause I, right. yeah, I'm more one-on-one <laughs> yeah. like for sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that's, that kind of comes up for me at music conferences and stuff because or business conferences, because I'm just not one to like, Hey, I'm here, you know, walk <laughs> into the room and, and just start something up. Right. So, well, and, and I was going to say too, the cool part about that though, is even in concert, you know, like, why can we do it in concert? For me, when I'm at a concert, I'm actually looking at it, like having a conversation with a person. Like I'm not seeing, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm not like seeing a ton of people. I, I'm more thinking like, how would I converse with them one-on-one? Because that's what I can do. Like, that's what I'm comfortable with. So sometimes, you know, I'll ask, questions to the audience or just something that it's more like a conversation versus, you know, I'm the one here in front of you. And I don't know. It's yeah, I agree. <laughs> Cause you know, like, you know, for a business term, you'd say, I'm, you want to talk to your avatar uh-huh. or your, your perfect fan or something, you know, you want to think about instead of just this sea of people that's right. all different, you can't talk to them all. Right. right. So <laughs> just think about talking to your biggest fan. That's great. How would you talk to them? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great visual. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I can't believe it. We are almost done (laughs) with this interview, but I want to first give you a chance to let people know how to get in touch with you and, um, online or 
you know, what, where are you ever going outside of Minnesota for concerts these days or are you mostly in Minnesota? Wisconsin a little. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not venturing yeah, out to the next door the state. Midwest. Yeah. I, we don't have any plans yet in busy girls too. And I haven't necessarily, you know, I don't know what the future will hold. There's a lot in store and possibilities, but yeah, it's right now in Minnesota. Um, best way probably to get a hold of me is my website. It's www.terrabrisky.com, but it's spelled T-A-R-A-B-R-U-E-S-K-E. It looks like brewski. Um, and on my website, I have links for my YouTube page. I have links for our BZ Girls website, um, Facebook. You know, so that's a really great place. To, yeah. To and check out her it. vocal tips. Cause I saw you did something about breathing on there and it sounds like you're going to be adding some more. I am. Yeah. So it's, I'm kind of, there's a, always a lot obviously to keep up online, but I'm trying to keep my kind of my website is at least you can find the links on there to my other <laughs> pages, you know, if you can't find that. So, right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that I got in touch with you. Like I said, I feel like we were on an extremely similar journey <laughs> I love over that, the right? years. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so it's great to talk to somebody that, cause I felt the same way about like, yeah, I perform at se- you know, for yeah. seniors, like, yeah. but I love them and they love me. It's so true. why shouldn't I talk about that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on this show. I just think what you're doing is an amazing gift to other musicians who are out there and I'm sure it has encouraged them just the the shows I've listened to of yours I think they're awesome so thank you thank you so much now go out and make great music connect with your fans and grow your business female entrepreneur musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.